Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the 46th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about storytelling, filmmaking, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today, we've got the second half of our conversation with the guys from Extra Credit Studios. It's Mark and Carlo. They have a ton of interesting insight. We couldn't pack it into one episode, so we thought, let's make it two. So we'll get the conclusion of that later in this episode. But first, Oren, we have a listener question. Yeah, so we have a listener named Hart Perez who randomly ran into my brother and told him he listens to my podcast. And I was like, that's so cool. And so I started and emailing your brother Hart. lives in San Francisco. Oh, my brother lives in San Francisco. I checked out Hart's work. You should check out his website. Him and his brother do some cool stuff. Perezbros.com. A lot of commercials, you know, short sketches. You know, but but great looking stuff and really, really funny, really funny and really yeah. kind of clear. There's a clear through line in, in their work. You yeah, know? it's like a, there's a distinct voice there. Yeah, they feel like kind of edgy commercial directors. So I emailed him and I said, "Hey, thanks for the compliments." He, he had written me that he liked the podcast. I said, "Thanks for the compliments." I checked out your work and it's great. When are you moving to LA? Question mark. And he had written me back that him and his brother are at a crossroads between good crew wages in San Francisco. They work as a gaffer and key grip by day, which provides them income and allows them time to shoot their shorts versus the alternative, which is moved to LA without management representation, a network, and they would have to try to stay afloat as freelance directors. So at the moment, they're looking into LA production companies in order to help ease the transition process before they go all in. And by the way, I did not ask Hart for, <laughs> for permission to read his email on the podcast. So hopefully that's cool with you. I just thought this is something that so many people, so many people. I think, are, are trying to figure out. You know, we talked to Andy Young, who wrote us up on Movie Maker Magazine. He had done all this work for Rooster Teeth in Austin and was, you know, getting hired by them regularly and was like, how, you know, it's hard to move to LA when you have work in your hometown. So my opinion on it, is you should move to LA. <laughs> tear, tear the bandit off, yeah. Yeah, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, you know, I, well, you have the insight of being a filmmaker and living elsewhere than LA. I moved here, you know, for college and have stayed ever since. So I, I, I sympathize a little bit more with people who want to kind of stay outside and maybe save a little bit of money, see their family a little bit more. 
but inevitably you do have to make the jump. And I think the sooner the better, because there's a lot of opportunities when you're young, you're like willing to, you know, be a little hungrier, a little scrappier, you know, a little more broke that I think is really worth taking advantage of. And, And that willingness to be broke is a resource, you know, also like San Francisco's expensive as shit city. Oh yeah. Is the most expensive. So, like, I saw this thing today. It's the most expensive city in America to buy a house. You have to make 121 grand a year minimum to afford like the cheapest house they sell. It the my my family's from the Bay Area, so like I I I get why you love it. It's a really wonderful place, but it is so expensive that I would say moving here, you would upgrade your home. And there, if you're already making money as uh, a crew member. Then like moving into that, you know, yeah, yeah, your network is how you get those jobs and it will be a rougher start. But like, I'd say the sooner the better. Basically. Dude, one month into living in LA, you can get consistent gaffer and key grip work. I actually think it's, yes, you would make a living and stay afloat, but I actually think it's almost dangerous because you can get that work so easily in LA right. that you might not have time to direct because you'll be right. so busy making a living, you know, doing crew work. So I guess just to, to, analyze Hart's email like you would get good crew wages as a gaffer and a key grip here you'd probably get into it since you're experienced in it i don't know if you're in the union in the bay area but you could probably get into the union in la pretty quick um which you know gives you benefits and all sorts of minimum wages and protections but the other thing that Hart says is you know it's hard for us to move to la without management representation and a network and so they're looking into production, LA production companies in order to help ease the, to transition the process. From my personal experience, I don't know. It, it's very hard to like find a manager or an agent or a production company in LA that doesn't know you to bring you on unless they are kind of a struggling new production company that's probably not worth joining. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're like some sort of wonderkind that like has a mega viral video or a hit at some film festival or so- something with like real... Yeah, if you won the grand jury prize at Sundance, yeah. maybe you'd have a shot. But even then, I don't think a production company would be like, we come to LA and we are going to get you work right away. It yeah. just doesn't... It's just not a thing that happens. You have to come and build your network but with your work and your experience you will be with like like-minded people like every day of your life and you will get crew work and meet other filmmakers i mean i lived in san francisco i tried to be a filmmaker there it was fun it, in san francisco it's like considered an art which i'm not saying it's not but like in la is where you go to really make a living in film to dig in yeah so so for our listeners maybe who don't live in la but also aren't the specific person you know i i think save up some money get over here as soon as you can is, is really the best <laughs> advice yeah i mean if you have a family and you know they're saying you can be like robert rodriguez or richard linklater and you know create a network in your hometown but i, I think your best bet especially with kind of the work that i've seen you know that i think a lot of our listeners do you know kind of short sketches commercials if you want to get into like the college humor world or the tv commercial world or, or the digital series or, yeah yeah, yeah. It's it's really helpful to come here. We are, and this is, a, I know, it's a mildly controversial topic, so we're very happy to hear anyone else's opinions on this. I'm sure a lot of people disagree with us, but that's just our take. I, you know, I think really the ultimate issue is that even if you're finding work in your hometown and you probably have a really great life, 
and it's going to put a cap on the production values that you're going to be able to reach, right? Like your crews are going to be limited, your gear is going to be limited, and frankly, your budgets are going to be limited. So you can be great at like stretching $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 into a really awesome, impressive looking spot. And that's awesome. That's really great. But you won't get to do those bigger, better spots elsewhere, pretty typically. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah. I mean, maybe Hart, you know, and his brother work on like the biggest commercials, like million dollar sure. commercials in San Francisco, which do get shot there. All the Apple commercials, who knows right. what exactly they're working on. But I don't know. I think LA is a very film friendly city. It's like we live and breathe that stuff. So I think while other cities are beautiful and might let you shoot for free in places and people will be excited to be part of your projects. LA is where I think you can advance the fastest. And you're investing that time in another place right now. So the sooner you get here, the sooner you're building equity in your network here. Yeah. And Matt said the first 10 people to move here after listening to this episode, he'll get them a job. So far, so good, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're right. Two of our listeners. Okay. Just hit up Matt. And What's your phone We're number? paying Eric now. Oh, yeah. That's three. Yeah, we got three listeners that uh, we've kind of got jobs for. That's like most some, of them. Some good jobs, some okay jobs. <laughs> but anyway, cool. Well, that's cool. Thanks. Please email us. Uh, let us know your thoughts, questions, concerns. We love talking about this stuff. And now let's get back in with Carlo and Mark and talk about Extra Credit Studios. And so another uncomfortable businessy type question. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys at any point like write up contracts saying that you guys own things three way, like how the business is going to work? Yeah, you have a very clear delineation of who owns what. How did you decide on that? Uh, I don't think we wrote up anything too formal until we like ended up getting a lawyer. We yeah, got, like an entertainment lawyer who's like, you don't have anything written up. We got to write something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's his job. Well, because it's, yeah. so, it's so rare what you guys have, especially since you, this is kind of your first big project was right, right. was the high school or the most popular girls project. Like it's rare to have that where a project blows up and there isn't like big fights and yeah. people yeah. hate each other. Afterwards. Yeah. Normally well, you see, get to we, have a couple like failures, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we did the very smart thing of making sure that we hated each other from the beginning. Yeah. So there's nowhere to go. Yeah, sure. It's a true thing. It's a weird thing of like, we were not friends when we started. Yeah. We were not like buddies who did a lot of stuff together in one hit. It was like, we knew each other tangentially, but when this thing took off, we both, we both grew to respect each other through the beginning episodes. Mm-hmm. Like I respected Carlo a lot as a writer. Cause I mean, this show is based entirely off of his great idea and as a performer. And then he respects me because I actually would be able to make the dolls move and he can't. So, <laughs> you know, we have like this mutual thing of like, there's a lot of things I don't want to deal with that he likes to deal with a lot of things that he doesn't want to deal with that I can deal with. And we just were probably the only two people we really trust with exactly. each other's work. Like, so that we just lucked out and it's lucky that we don't like each other because we know we can trust each other because I know he wouldn't hang out with me again <laughs> right. if I that's, wasn't a business guy yeah. that's like Matt and me we oh, our right. very first time we met each other we were like we should do a podcast yeah, yeah our we did second really time we other. met I think we was, was the bought podcast. some microphones <laughs> and the nice. third time we <laughs> yeah. did the podcast that's yeah there is something yeah. funny about it being a bit more of a business relationship for sure yeah, yeah. and it, it's the kind of thing of, of like because 
like we wouldn't hang out with each other normally. <laughs> like we can both go home if we're arguing with each other and be like, all right, well, that was a shitty day at the office or whatever, but it's not like my friend is mad at me. Mm-hmm, and right. and also we've established a really good rapport of like being honest with each other. And if we get in a fight and have to yell at each other or have a disagreement about something, like we both know at the at the end of it, it's because we care about the project and because we want the best mm-hmm. for it. And I never have to question what Mark's investment in this thing is or why we're fighting about it. You know, we we're fighting about it because we think that different things will make the best possible product. And at the end of the day, I know that no matter what, he's always got my back and he's got equal skin in the game. Yeah, we looked at in that we both decided not to fuck each other over. Yeah. It could have or fuck somebody each other's girlfriends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which is <laughs> I what mean, happens when you work with your friends. Oh, good to yeah. know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean we we it, with most popular girls in school, we split it's me, Carlo, and Lily. We're the owners of it, and we all disagreed. And I mean, it's but, not about workload for us. Because in my opinion, one, I don't think the most popular girls in school is the only thing I'm, I'm ever going to do, you know, and uh, so I'm not worried about that. I'll do other stuff. But it's also like if each one of us didn't get involved, it wouldn't have happened. Right. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter who does the most work or who's most it's uh, Mark. Mark does the most work. I do. Right. Yeah. But, but I, I've been in that situation where, <laughs> you know, yeah. my collaborators are off at our friend's birthday party because <laughs> – you know, they there's nothing for them to do, and I'm working like 48 hours straight to try exactly. to get something out the door. Yeah, and it, well, that's and most it, popular girls in school, right? Yeah. There. Resentment <laughs> central. It, well, and luckily, everyone respects me in in that production. In that, if I say I'm not going to do this or I can't be there, they're like, "Yep, no problem, no problem at all. We understand you're working too hard." But, exactly, um, and also being a thing of like like us being able to speak up and be like, "No, we're not going to push Mark that hard. Like yeah. that, like that's not going to happen." Right. Yeah. So it's it, we just got lucky in that we were cool with that. And then for Extracted Studios, that's just me and Carlo because we do other projects now together. And we just were like, look, we're splitting it down the middle. And I definitely handle a lot of the production workload, but that means Carlo handles everything else. I mean, if there's marketing stuff, if we're talking about meetings or emails or if we're doing some sort of development of projects, I don't deal with any of it. And Carlo can deal with all of it. And, that's all. Yeah. and was there ever like a time when you're like, hey, Carlo, maybe you should like learn to edit yeah just to uh, right. put this doll in a cup <laughs> uh, i think i mean i used to do all the audio edits and i did teach him how to edit the audio that was yeah. like one thing that was like here's something you could learn and it's not too intense mm-hmm. and it's a visual you know sound thing he, so he started so he did learn that yeah. I, i've seen carlo hold a camera before and it was <laughs> you don't awful. want me doing it you yeah. don't want me doing he it. turned a dslr camera <laughs> like long ways and started filming. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Portrait mode? Yeah, portrait mode with a DSLR. Not with his phone. Like a DSLR camera and started filming. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, sorry, sorry. And then he turns it this way, which still ruins it. And so I was like, oh, oh I'm no. sorry. So you're have, you, the have you ever asked me to do that again? No. Nope. <laughs> That's like that. with my wife. I'm like, I'll do Take the laundry. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, he can't even And then I mess, like... I mess up all the clothes. <laughs> exactly. So he, it's that's not going to be his bag. <laughs> he never will. But, I mean, he again, he does a lot of the directing. When doing stop motion or animation, there's two directing parts. There's directing the actors uh, doing the voice recordings, and then there's directing the animators who are actually moving the act, the, the puppets. So I do 
almost all the directing of the actual shooting. And Carlo does a lot better directing with the uh, actors, especially than I do. If I'm directing the actors, <laughs> I'm a, a total dick about it. Like you're not no, just to, just say it funny. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> Carlo's very good at like I will really bite my tongue not to just give them a line read because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm just like no, just say it exactly like this. But Carlo is like very creative how to talk to them. Like imagine that you're like in a bar and you're trying to yell at the girl across the way, and it's like oh, that's per- <laughs> that's exactly how you get him to say. Can you throw us some? tips to how you motivate actors when you feel like they're not getting things? Uh, I I think more than anything, it's just making them feel comfortable and making them feel like they're not fucking up. And like, and just so much of acting is just confidence. And so a lot of times it'll be like, cool. Okay. Let, you know, for sake of a difference, what if you do it this way? You know, I use that phrase a lot of like for sake of a difference. And sometimes it is like, I just want to hear an alternate take. And sometimes it's like, I want to, I want to make sure and take care of your ego and make sure that you're managed and, and just let you know that we're going to do it a different way. And, and when you say this way, you say like, let's just do like a really fast one where you're, you know, trying to piss him off or something like what? Right. Or, or like, usually I'll try to find some kind of image that I, that I can explain to them of like, like I, we were talking to an actress and I wanted to get like a real particular voice tone. And I was like, imagine you're the kind of person who calls people jam up guys. Like he's a real jam up guy. And immediately she's like, I know, I know that guy. I know who that is. Yeah, really yeah, I, I, abstract I, direction. Yeah, I get really weirdly specific. And, I'll, and it, I also benefit from the fact that we know a lot of our actors and so I can kind of speak to each of them in a particular language, mm-hmm. you know, of like one actor may be more comfortable with improvisation of like, let's just roll through and get a bunch of stuff. Whereas another actor might be more comfortable if I'm like lobbing them kind of a solid creative note and can say, what if you did it imagining that you're a puppet on a string or something, you know? And when you guys are recording voices, are you worried at all about the edit? Like, Sometimes when I'm in VO, I'm like, oh, we just did like 80 reads of this line. Like in editing, I don't even want to go through all 80 reads of this line. Like, how do you guys do that? Well, for me, that's the beauty of the assistant editor. Like we have a assistant editor whose job is to cut basically the selects. So basically every line, he'll cut up the takes. So you just have line, 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 line. And then Carlo has to go through those and pick the best. So that never gets to me. <laughs> oh, so, so I'll literally in the recording be like, enjoy that, Garrett. <laughs> yeah. And then, like uh, and then like the, the other thing that's nice about being able to direct in the room is I'll know like, oh, right. She, she kind of found it in like the last three lines. So I can just skip past all, like the first 17. Wow. So that's cool. So you have an assistant editor set it up for easy reviewing. Right. So, so he, Carlo, he basically cuts it down to takes. Right. Then he, Carlo does the selects. Right. And then Mark actually edits them in with the music and sound effects. And exactly. I just do the kind of the timing. Cause and that, levels I'm, everything out. Right. I'm, just, I'm the one who kind of figures out the blocking and like, all right, we're going to need a pause here because he's going to walk across the mm-hmm. room. How long is that going to take? That kind of stuff. And you're using Premiere? Uh, yeah, yeah, we use Premiere to do it. And you guys are still kind of in the thick of it in terms of actual production at this point. Even right now? Right now. Yeah. No, no. We're, we're, we just we wrapped on Havoc a month ago? Yeah. A month um, and a half ago? Yeah. And uh, so. it started airing on full screen August 18th. All right. The museum security system is disabled. Now remember, only grab the most expensive pieces. How do we know which ones are the most expensive? I don't know. The fucking big ones? What, are we, what do you base it off of? Is anything gilded? So if you see a frame, fucking grab that. What the hell is this? A cardboard box? Oh, uh, yeah, I heard about this cardboard box exhibit. It's uh, it's it's all recycled from cardboard boxes. 
Wait, Kyle, why are you stealing their exit signs? Oh, no, boss. These are from the exit sign exhibit. Uh, this door just goes to the janitor's closet. Wait, or is this the janitor's closet exhibit? God, I fucking hate modern art. Yeah, so we're and, just writing some stuff now. And just rewinding just a little bit more because I do think this is yeah. pertinent. And so you guys did your show, you did your Kickstarter, you did more stuff, and then you got noticed by William Morris Endeavor. We, yeah. Yeah, we got noticed by them kind of pretty quickly after the big surge came in from Tumblr. Right. It, it was in the middle of our second season. They approached us. Like you just get an email, hey, I'm Mike at WME. Literally, on Facebook, literally Lily got an email. She got a Facebook message on her Facebook actor page, which I think I, I told her, I was like, you don't need a fucking Facebook actor page. That's for douchebags. <laughs> and like an agent at WME, Sarah Self, sent her a message and said, I've been trying everywhere to find you guys. I love your show. You need to come in and talk to me. Because there was no contact info on your YouTube page. I don't know no, what it was. I don't, I, don't, so. I don't think so. No, it, yeah, actually, there definitely wasn't. Yeah, at the time, I don't think we were thinking we wanted people to contact us, nor <laughs> that they would want to. Yeah, exactly. I think we, And all of like the social media was just the characters. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah. So WME found us, and they really liked it, and they thought it could be a TV show. And now you guys are rich. Yeah, exactly. Oh, totally, yeah. After that yeah. first meeting, it was like, done and done. Exactly. So they invited you for a meeting, and were you guys, like, super psyched? Yeah. No. You weren't. No, well, because we had just come from That's the, right. So we got contacted by a few agencies when that thing kind of blew up, because I think all the agencies were starting to get into the digital world, world, and we got contacted by another agency, which was some three-letter agency, a big agency. We were like, oh, my God, it's a huge agency. And literally, it was like the agent that called us in brought us to the head of television, who clearly had just watched an episode just before the meeting, and was like, this will never be anything. This will never be on TV. No one would ever want this, but good for you for making it big on the internet, Think about your next project, and maybe we can do something. I think we have a digital guy. Maybe he can help you. And we were like, okay, why did you call us in here? Just to tell us that this is nothing? I mean, for our listeners, that's, at least from my experience, that is like most of my meetings off of digital stuff have been like that. Like, it's cool. I don't know what to do with it. If you have something that's a little more theatrical or TV, you can call us. You know, So it's more like opening doors than it is like, Hey, I want to rep you and get you a job. Well, and a lot of meetings after you have something like what we had, what uh, most meetings were, what's the next thing? Mm-hmm. Right. I can't wait for your next right. thing. Like once you have one thing that kind of hits, you go on what they call the water bottle tour where you go to every studio and you get to collect a water bottle from them and you drink it and it's great and it's wonderful. And, and like you kind of tell them about what you were working on and then they say, cool, what else are you working on? And it was like at that point that Mark and you had nothing ready. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we were like, we just made Ooh. all these views in this web series. It's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so when we went to WME, I was not excited. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to listen to these guys tell me the same story. Like, I don't need, you know, there was some other agents, some smaller agencies that were like, no, we like you guys. Think you can do something. But actually, WME was amazing. They were like, no, this is a crazy this is a great show and this could definitely be a tv show yeah and they like they, they very much got what we were doing which is always like and was robot chicken in existence at oh, the yeah. Time? oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah in south park yeah and, exactly. and oh, yeah. thousands of people love the show with zero marketing budget right right exactly we we had had i think at the time we had like 30 million views by that time yeah 30 million, um, I've actually heard, is the magic number. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, like you get 30 million views on something, like aggregate. That's a real benchmark for like, I believe you know. Interesting. The, yeah, yeah, significantly yeah. more than like 
a lot of episodes of cable TV. Yeah. I mean, of yeah. shows on cable TV. Right. right. Yeah. And it was unique because it's, it's a narrative show. It's not sketches. Mm-hmm. You know, we're telling a, a continual storyline. You have seasons. We have seasons. We have a, it's a very vulgar show with an incredibly female audience, which is incredibly unique. Yeah. Almost cause, all cause, adult cartoons. Because when male. we came out, it was either just before or just after Bridesmaids, which was like right. this, this all of a sudden, oh my God, girls like dirty humor too? Who knew? It's like, yeah, they like things that are funny. Idiots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just don't want to watch boys be vulgar, but they watch <laughs> girls be vulgar. Well, um, it's hard. it's easier for them to relate to girls being vulgar, right? Exactly, it makes sense. It was it was this thing of like, oh, girls don't like vulgar comedy. It's like, no, they just don't like vulgar comedy when it's a male driven show, but they're directed watch girls. at men, right? You know, and and it's like, well, we just wrote what we thought was funny, and it just so happened to have a lot of female characters. You know, that that's always been our thing of like, we write what makes us laugh. Like when we get stuck. Like, we'll just stop and be like, you laughing right now? Are you having fun? Then fuck it. Let's just start over. Yeah. Right. So WME is like, we love the show. We want to introduce you to more people to pitch new shows. Yeah. Well, they were like, well, they wanted to take Most Popular Girls in School and make a TV show, which we did too. We were, yeah. well, we were making the web series. It didn't feel, it was growing. Like, we started off doing like five-minute episodes, and then we were doing 12-minute episodes. And then we were doing like to-be-continued episodes and like three episodes. And we're like, we're just writing a TV show now. And so we told them we wanted to do that. They liked that as well. And so we joined them. And that was kind of their first job was to kind of try to push that out there. Figure out how can this be a TV show. So you guys made a treatment, show Bible, all that stuff. We We wrote uh, a treatment. Yeah, did we write a treatment? Yeah, we wrote wrote a treatment treatment. for a pilot of what it would look like. And then uh, we kind of put together like the stats. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's already got X amount of views and stuff. And look at these great videos. Exactly. And look at the fans. Like we had fans dressing up like the characters for Halloween already. We had people doing quotes of our show in the yearbooks as their senior quote. Yeah, that that was one of the best things was was people would send us pictures of their yearbooks where they used their senior quote as a quote from the show. That is incredible. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it was amazing. I mean, we at the time had We're trying to make fun of you (laughs) you are being what we're writing. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. I was like, I I thought we were making fun of girls and the girls are like, no, this is exactly right. You guys are nailing it. Well, it it was really funny. There were like these two very clear delineations between the members of the audience of like, like, some of the characters were like, the Britneys and Mackenzies who we were making fun of, of like, oh my God, that's so me. You're the Trisha. I'm the DeAndre. Like, we're like, like, and then a lot of the people were like the people like me growing up who were like, fuck those people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So WME, uh, really quickly, I'm, I'm telling the end of the story. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they started looking for a name that they could attach to it. to be interested in producing it. No, uh, like a an executive producer, company. basically a celebrity. Okay. Okay. Kind of like, um, Come on, Mark. This is this is killing me. Uh, the the show about the two girls in New York on Comedy Central. What is it called? Broad, Broad City. City. Broad City. Broad City. The executive producer Amy, Amy Poehler. Poehler. Like attaching Amy Poehler to them. So they ended up. We ended up getting hooked up with Charlize Theron. Crazily enough. Crazy. Yeah. 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 And so you, so really you guys know Charlize Theron? Uh, we we she likes our work. Yeah. Uh, she <laughs> sent us a Christmas gift last year. Yeah. Has she um, been to your place? She's not been to our place. We have not yeah. formally met her. She's always shooting movies mm-hmm. in some faraway uh, land. Yeah. She's yes. like a, a model slash superstar slash. Yeah. She's kind of like probably philanthropist. Yeah. Sure. Slash mogul. She's definitely yep. saving She's children. Yeah. At exactly. One point or another. And I have so, another friend that was developing a feature with her. Oh, nice. I think she. What's what's her production company? Denver and Delilah. Denver and Delilah. So, so you guys. So they wanted to develop the show. Exactly. Yeah. They partnered up with us, and uh, they took it to Universal, uh, Universal Cable, who really liked it, and so now we're in the middle of developing the TV show with them. 
Oh, so it's still happening. It's still oh yeah, happening. we're oh, actually cool. yeah, very close to um, closing the deal. This is one of those can't say it now, but it's very close to closing the deal with the network and moving forward. Yeah, Killer. so how how does the pitch work? You guys don't walk in with Charlize and she's like modeling. The, well, I mean, it took playing one of the characters. It took, I mean, what, like two years before we were actually pitching in rooms, you know? Mm-hmm. First, we had the treatment, and then once everybody was on board, which, like, I think that took about a year to negotiate. Like, yeah, just, it, it, just the deal. Because Universal, you know, it's not just buying a show idea. It's a property that already exists. We're still making the web series. Mm-hmm. And the idea for the TV show is not a reboot. It's not a, a change. It's a literal continuation. So what happens on the first day of the TV show Everything that happened in the past counts. Mm-hmm. It's all oh, still cool. a part of TV it. TV show starts first day of junior year. No, uh, the, the web series. The, the web series ends the last day of junior year. TV show starts first day of senior year. So like we, by season two, had already planned the TV show. So we made two seasons after that, planning the TV show at the same time. So we kind of set the web series up to ride into the TV show, mm-hmm. which no one's ever done that. No one's taken a web series and then continued it yeah, as a TV. Totally. Can Usually I tell you a cool reboot. thing I did once though? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one saw it, so it doesn't matter. But there was this Disney movie, Prom, that came out with Amy Teagarden a few years ago. It was directed by Joe Nussbaum, who did that George Lucas in Love short. Yeah. Have you guys ever see that? Yeah. Um, Classic. Yeah. He went to Essie, right? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And so this whole movie was about senior year and prom, culminated in prom. And it was like a very much like a John Hughesy type of movie. And we took like a few of the side characters, like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, like the sidekick comedy guys. Right. And we did a show about their summer internship the summer before mm-hmm. senior year. And we released an episode every week until the movie came out. Nice. So it was kind of also like a continuation. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Um, and that was yeah. part of our thing was like the web series can still exist and be like an ex- it, you know, a lot of people struggle taking something from the internet and putting it on TV. That's mm-hmm. kind of the big thing everyone's trying to figure out, and it has never worked quite well. Usually, TV either like Broad City is the big exception. It and is absolutely drunk history too. Yeah, yeah and drunk, exactly. actually, drunk history is a really great yeah. point. That's yeah. actually one of the better ones. I mean, Broad City is true too. It wasn't Broad City didn't get a lot of time to establish online. Right, right. it got up really quick. But Drunk History is, is a really good one. And and luckily it turned into a TV show that was very similar to the sketch. It was just this, almost the exact same thing. And that's really the trick. I think if you try to take something that was big on the internet and then you change it for TV, you're really playing with fire. Kind of where you get too many hands in it of people being like, well, yeah, this is what would work on TV. We know your thing worked over there. Right, Let us right. change it so that yeah. it can work here. And, and it's like most of the things you guys make on TV don't work. Well, it's so... the same eyeballs. Well, right. but that's the challenge. And I think that's what we're still figuring out. Like, can you bring an audience from YouTube to TV? Right. Or yeah. are they just watching stuff on YouTube? And, right. you know, you got to make it like worth it's their very while. hard to move an audience. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. And I don't even know that the drunk history TV audience is the same as the web audience. I kind of suspect that maybe yeah. it overlaps by like 20 percent at the most. Well, and, and our big thing that we emphasize and that luckily all the execs that we've been dealing with in developing this show recognize and embrace is that we have a very particular fan base who are particularly devoted to this show. And they're unique in a lot of ways. I mean, for one, like even with comments, they're so self-policing that we have like one of the universally like most positive comment threads on YouTube. Like there were very like there are very rarely trolls on there. They're very rarely arguments and everybody like when there are are very civil. Mm-hmm. And like they're they're an actual community because they're mostly women. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> sure, sure. I would say Squaresville, my show, 
pretty similar situation. Nice, it's yeah. Like, oh, that's so nice. It's like, oh, cool. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I love you guys too. This is great. <laughs> I know. Exactly. When you hear about like how horrible internet comments are for some people, I'm like, that would be all. I yeah. would, I would have yeah. a hard time because I listen to the comments a little too much. Yeah. Like if yeah. one guy's like, eh, this was kind of slow. I'm like, we got to pick up the pace. <laughs> yeah. but, but so what, so what we've kind of emphasized is look, we need to make sure that we maintain this online footprint and that we take care of that audience that's there because when we move to TV, those are going to be our biggest evangelists Mm -hmm. because this audience feels such a kinship with this show. They feel so much ownership of it because they've watched it develop from like the first video with three shitty little dolls and styrofoam cups. And they feel like they've, they they feel like it's their local band that's now getting a major label deal, you know? Right. Oh, you know, a good example of when the audience did move to TV, I think, is with Fred. You know, there's Fred the movie. He, he, so Fred was right, right. this huge right. guy on YouTube, this kid, and then he made movies for Nickelodeon, which was like exactly the right fit for the audience. Already. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, yeah. the Fine Brothers did Kids React which did sure. not really manage to pull people. And yeah, neither did the Grace Helbig show on E. Right. Yeah. Manage. So, but well, if, if your network partners know how to find your audience, I think. Well, and we're in lucky in that the web, our web series translates very quickly to the TV show. We didn't need to change anything. It was literally just like, oh, we get to tell a bigger story. We get and, a, a bigger, more crazier, wilder story. But is in, it still you doing like the production and... Well, that's, I mean, that's all up in the air as far as what, I mean, we're definitely, I mean, a lot of things had to change in the TV show. One was we did have to hire a showrunner, which was, you know, basically a writer boss for us, which is very unique for me and Carla. Cause like we've written 70 episodes of the show. Right. Who's going to come did, in? And was that it. a fight or was that something you guys were like, no, like that, well, we, we get it. No, so. that, that, that was something we accepted pretty quickly because we were like, yeah, we understand why a network wouldn't immediately have us run a show. Right. They're not going to give us, you know millions of dollars and be like, we think you guys can make it. Yeah. And it would be good to have somebody who's like, I've been down this road. But what was good is we got to interview the showrunners. Mm-hmm. You know, we it was our choice. No one was like, here's who you're gonna have to pick from. It was like they gave us a big selection and we kind of met with a bunch. And uh, the woman we found, Nancy Pimenthal, who's uh, one of the head writers of um, Shameless. Shameless right now on Showtime. And she's also one of the writers on South Park. She's wow. a great fit as far as her temperament, but also she like sat with us and was like, this is your show. And mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is fight for you guys. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's perfect. It's like, yeah. That's exactly what we want. I heard this interview with the showrunner of Empire and it's, she's the woman that like created the L word or something. Like oh, wow. she comes from like a soap drama background, mm-hmm. not at all like the kind of hip hop world. And she, she, and her whole interview was just talking about how she just, she gets very clear direction on like the vision and what this show is supposed to be about. And her job is just to kind of execute it in the best way possible. Sure. Yeah. So that's, mean, that's cool. There's just so much to do in it. And she's never worked in stop motion before. I mean, South Park isn't stop motion animated. Only the right. first episode was so, and that was something that appealed to us too. Cause again, we like the people who come work with us maybe have a little inexperience mm-hmm. because we're going to do things a little differently. And the last thing we want, it's really hard to break people of bad habits. It's really easy to start new ones. Especially when those habits in their head are, well, but we do this because it's the right thing to do. It's the right. way that you do it. Right. Yeah, they think you have bad habits. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, exactly. They think we have yeah. terrible habits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we started working with animators finally in our fourth season, it was probably end on Dr. Havoc. That's like a whole new thing. It's a whole new type of making the show when you're not doing everything yourself. And, and how has that transition been? 
Uh, fairly good in yeah. the sense of I, I got very lucky in that I literally for season four was popular girls in school. After we had done three seasons, we had a pretty good amount of revenue coming in. Me and Carla could both work at the same time, and uh, we were making the show at the YouTube space, which is like a big production facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, they let us make the whole show there. So I hired two animators, and I got lucky in that I literally said like a production hub. I don't need, I don't know how to find stop motion animators, and luckily the guy I found uh, this guy Kevin Glick. He like worked on Coraline and Robot Chicken. He had this crazy resume. I'm like, he's never gonna come push these Barbie dolls with me. It's gonna be crazy. And he came and sat down. I told him what we do, and he was like, "Well, I get it, and, you know." And it fits. I don't have anything to do right now because they work for like four months at a time, and then they take breaks. Yeah, we we lucked out in that we had just so happened to schedule the entire production to be shot from the beginning of November right up until Christmas. And for stop motion, that's usually a downtime because it's such mm-hmm. a long production process that they're going to schedule around that and make sure they avoid that. Yeah, so it was like, I mean, I don't know anything about stop motion. I hadn't met with stop motion animators, and he explained to me that like normally, like on a show like Robot Chicken, which is probably one of the fastest animated shows on television as far as stop motion, they animate about 10 seconds a day at their fastest. And I was like, oh, I'm going to ask you to do two minutes a day, which is like <laughs> right. impossible. He's like, well, that's it's 12 times. can't do much. it. Yeah. He's like, it cannot be done. And I was like, I'm going to show you how I do it and we'll see. And we just, I mean, we cut a lot of corners. We do a lot of things you shouldn't do. And uh, you it's def- called exploding market inefficiencies, Mark. Right. <laughs> go, go ahead and spin it right for me. And I mean, again, it's a matter of it's not going to look as good, but that can be fun. It's sometimes fun. You know, our dolls also are not perfect puppets you know we have some dolls that don't even have elbows so when they hold a cell phone they hold it like three feet above their head because the arm can't bend to their ear but that makes it funny because you know that the 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 viewer can see oh that ball doesn't have an elbow so what are they supposed to do it's like oh cool we can make a joke out of it yeah and so after a while he got he got the hand and so did our other animator and then it just became it became a fun thing because it was fun for them because they also were not being scrutinized. Mm-hmm. Stop motion's heavily scrutinized, and they usually have to like reshoot stuff over and over and over again. And I'm like, no, no. If we didn't get it right this time, let's get it right next time because we got to keep on going. Yeah. <laughs> and so we should probably wrap up soon because we're already so long. This is all super fascinating. <laughs> oh yeah, so good. But real quick, the Doctor Havoc story. So William oh, yeah. Morris introduced you to full screen. So Doctor Havoc came about from all those meetings that we went on, where it was like, what else are you working on? And we're like, Ooh, we should figure out some other things to work. <laughs> So we came up, you know, we, we kind of had a list of ideas of like log lines and sample episodes. And we had this idea about Dr. Havoc and WME took it out to new form, new form digital. And we made six sample episodes with them. They, they liked the idea They they gave us some money to go and make six sample episodes. Six? Yeah, like like three yeah. five minute episodes and three one minute episodes. It's kind of a proof of concept. Yeah, instead of Why doing so that, many, I don't know. I think I think they had this that they realized that the idea maybe could go in so many places. They wanted us to show the range of the show because mm-hmm. the show, uh, Doctor Havoc, it's about it's making fun of superheroes and 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 also secret agents. There's that element, but there's also like a funny family element to it. I think they it's wanted to like show Despicable Me a little bit, right? Like it's yeah. like the. The light it, side of bad guys. Right, yeah. exactly. And like with most of our shows, it's like very realistic. Like, what would you realistically have to do? Like, how are villains caught at the end of every episode, but then they're there the next episode, and we show, like, he gets home every single night, and he's like, I escaped from jail again. <laughs> and, uh, like, the, the, the best way to describe the character of Dr. Havoc is he's the guy, like, he's going to shoot his enemy in the face. He's not going to, like, drop him into a pit of sharks, like, because that would be a huge liability, and you'd have to get insurance on the shark pit and everything. Yeah, so <laughs> they, yeah, we didn't know how they did everything. 
everything, but it, we did learn it was unique that they let us do six episodes, but I think they wanted to see the range. I think they liked that it was animated. They hadn't done that before. And I guess they saw some potential or something, yeah. which was good. And then they sold it to uh, full screen. So we spent basically the first six months this year shooting, you know, Dr. Havoc, like it was such a big expansion for us. It was the moment that we were scaling up and we were very intentional about not scaling the business until we were ready. And so when that time came, we kind of hit the ground running, moved into this new studio in Culver City, took an old art gallery and turned it into a stop motion studio and shot 30 episodes, which ended up being what, like 190 minutes of footage. Yeah, we shot about 30 episodes in about four months. Yeah. Jeez. That, you guys that, are that, out of control. That's hard, that's hard in live action, you guys. Yeah. Oh, no. It was, that's like it hard was in crazy. reality. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, if there's anything uh, that I had to learn quickly, was this was the first time we had four animators, sometimes five, working simultaneously. So you're directing five people at the same time, and they're finishing shots roughly every 15, 20 minutes. So you're going over, you're resetting the shot, and talking. I mean, when you're doing stop motion, the animator is the actor. So you're working with him. Right. Like, how does he act during this? You know, we have the vocal performance, but now how does the actual doll perform? And we kind of act that out together. And just luckily, out of curiosity, what kind of cameras are you guys shooting on? Uh, we're shooting on seven Ds. Okay. And I mean, luckily, because it's the format, the picture you don't really you can shoot with the five D, but you don't the full frame doesn't really help you much. Mm-hmm. It stills. And then you and have depth of field issues, right? Yeah, exactly. Focus. And so we do a shallow depth of field because one, our sets aren't that detailed, so it makes them look pretty nice and it gives you a film aesthetic. But also the pictures are so large, you know, basically we get exported into five K mm-hmm. and still have more room left over. So it doesn't the anything that's a DSLR you can use. So we don't have to use the most expensive cameras. We're using like year old. Do you have a reframe and post like yeah, pop into a close up or something? Uh sometimes. Sometimes we'll reframe if things are just a little bit off or something's chopped off or punch in or an extreme case we may have to reshoot something. But yeah, very rarely. We shot it in like I think 4K, but full screen does 1080. So we had a lot of room to play with. Yeah. I feel like I would just shoot everything super wide constantly. <laughs> that's just that's my rule everything. to them. It's like, yeah. don't ever get too close. I can yeah. fix far away. I can't right. fix close. And so do you have, I'm assuming if you're doing five shots at a time, you have multiple copies of your actors, your, your Dr. Yeah. Havoc and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. We have lots of Havocs, a couple of different other dolls. There's one or two characters where for one reason or another, we only had one version. Maybe the outfits didn't work or a doll broke. That would, the, that would be the real scheduling thing. We'd have like a big board, like this doll cannot be on two sets at once. Or yeah. Maybe. Or, or also like there are seven different versions of Dr. Havoc. There's like bank robber Havoc, there's nineties Havoc and there's Hawaiian shirt Havoc. And it's like, <laughs> we would have to, yeah, that we, we would have to treat all of those like different characters. And yeah. who does all the scheduling? We basically, I mean, we work with the set, des- we have like a set designer, we have an animation director, myself, and uh, Tiffany, our producer. And basically, we sit down, all, like the set designer says, I'm not going to have this set done until week two. It's like, all right, we're not shooting that scene until that week. Or uh, Carlo will be like, we don't have this voice actor in. So basically, it's like when people are done, we, and how we set it up is the board is hundreds of little pieces of paper every piece of paper is about a minute of footage in a scene and we just start organizing like here are these scenes and these will all have to be done at this time and it's kind of a crazy process but it got us through I mean, we got through by the yeah. skin of our teeth it was and you shot the whole season at once like out of order yes yeah we kind of jumped around all over the place it was all dependent on we tried to shoot on one set for as long as possible mm-hmm. but sometimes we hadn't recorded or the audios weren't quite ready or the set or the characters so it was very much on What's good is when, unlike live action, everyone is there. So if you need to jump to a new thing, 
the set's there, the character's there, we can jump to another set exactly. and take time away. And and a big thing that really helped us and that was the reason why we got through it was over communication. Was was me being like, okay, Mark, I know that I know that you've told me this three times, but what what shot are we doing next so that I can have the dolls prepped there? Right. Yeah. Every morning we had like a thirty minute big board meeting where we'd sit with all the heads of departments and say, here's what's on the list today. Here's what's coming up tomorrow. Are there any red flags people are seeing? And uh, figure out what to do. Next. And also, like a a big thing that that I would do with Mark would be be like. I know I've told you this. We have a recording coming in at three o'clock today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and making sure that if we over communicate, it's fine. It's when we under communicate that, that we start to get into the weeds. Right. And you guys do a lot of visual effects, right? I think I might have seen a few action movie essential saber plug-ins. Yeah, we, like with all of our aesthetic, it's very basic. It's like there's not a film student out there who couldn't do the effects we're doing. So if you want to come be our effects guy, I'm sure you're already qualified. <laughs> um, it's very basic stuff. But, yeah, but it's so, cool. It, it's yeah, totally it, it super fits effective. perfectly. Yeah, and so we do. Yeah, we definitely do some effects. We do some explosions or some uh, people get electrocuted or a lot of a lot of muzzle flashes and blood splatters. And then occasionally we'll do some practical stuff if I let the animators really play. But anything that takes too much time, I'm like, yeah, we'll right. do it. Because we'll an both. explosion practically is really cool, but it's right. incredibly painful. No, right? exactly. And they they want to. Oh, man, the animators like want like smoke. They're like, we can do it with cotton and stuff. I'm like, no, no, I'll <laughs> yeah, add the fine. smoke. Yeah. It's a, it's a two-second plug-in. We're not doing <laughs> yeah. it. I feel their pain. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's <laughs> upsetting to so them. so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Really and, the aesthetic and, is like we're allowed to cheat. Right. Yeah. And and also on Havoc, we were able to like pick and choose little spots where we go, okay, flex your muscles. Mm -hmm. And that actually works really well with the show because you kind of have a very basic through line, but every now and then something pops and that gets noticed a lot more because you, because you have the basic through line and everything isn't, let's make this as beautiful and spectacular as possible. And right. yeah. And unlike most stop motion, all of our shows are very uh, dialogue based. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, mostly people talking about something that did or will happen, right. which is like totally not the rules of what you should do. Oh yeah. Like they have visual jokes. Yeah. There's some, definitely some visual jokes, but it's like, we, we definitely rely a lot on dialogue, which is interesting for a group that doesn't do lip syncing. Yeah. And we, we also have like the running joke of like, okay, this is an episode where something great just happened and have it goes, wait, let's talk about this for nine minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you guys do a lot of reaction shots, right? Even though there's, Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.